Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royful Brown, who is in Canada. So I'm in southern Ontario. I am in Burlington. And I've just had a week and a half where I've driven all the way to Ottawa to drop my son off at university. And I've driven all the way back. Round trip of some, what, 600, 700 miles. There you go. So I'm 43.3255 degrees north and 79.7990 degrees north. And with me, I have Claire Asprey. Claire? Have you moved from Bedfordshire? No, I have not. I'm still in my same old place, 52.1 degrees north, 0.5 degrees east, in Bedfordshire, UK. Map Corner is a podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartophilic. So if Peters is your projection, you're in the right place. And this time we're joined by Palad Bo, who's a Danish radio producer, who's a modern digital nomad and aiming to visit all the countries in the world. And on this week's, this month's blockbusting episode, you have an audio postcard from Michael Permain. Now, folks, don't forget to review us on Apple iTunes because the more reviews we get, uh, it means we get more listeners because we go up those iTunes charts. And we are recording, as usual, with uh, a cream of the crop selection of map corner listeners. That implies that we select them. No, they're very much self-selecting. If you want to be on the recordings, just join the Map Corner Facebook group. You'll get the link. Or if you're not on Facebook, just drop us a line and we'll send you a link in some other way. Now, we record the first Saturday of every month at 6 p.m. UK time, which is 1 p.m. Eastern, which is where I am right now, and 10 a.m. Pacific. Really pleased to introduce Palo Bo. Hello, Pai. And uh, Hi, hi. Hey. And, and and I was really interested to see your backstory because you're a guy who does lots of audio stuff and seems to live all around the world. And I was like, this is just the Danish version of Broyfield. So yeah, I think you two probably have probably loads in common. And so I might not get a chance to give a moment to have a co- part of this conversation. But do you want to start by telling us a bit about your map roots 
and the adventuring that runs in your family and what prompted you to start traveling yourself? Oh, let me start from the the last bit there. What prompted me to start traveling? I'd lived in the same rural part of Denmark for the first 51 years of my life because that was where my two kids went to school. And, uh, and I could see that point one, I could work anywhere. And then once they moved out of the house, it would give me a little bit more freedom to, to go traveling a bit. So I actually was, okay, let me take a trip around the world. And in the beginning, I called my project around the world in 80 weeks. And it, it, I made a very detailed um, plan on, on where I would go down to which uh, city, in which country I would be in which week. Uh, but then I thought, okay, 80 weeks, that's just a year and a half, so that's not enough. So I made it two years, and then I am called it four years, and now I've been traveling for five years, and I have no intentions of, uh, of stopping this lifestyle anytime soon. And the funny thing with my, my plan, I... I'm really a nerd when it comes to planning. And I, I used to be a graphic designer, so I made this beautiful map with this beautiful line around the world. And if I look at my map now, it looks like spaghetti that's been thrown on a map because I've it just goes in all directions. I think I stuck to the plan for a week and a half when I was in uh, Estonia, Latvia, and, and uh, Lithuania. And then it was my plan to go to Poland, but said, nah, let me go to Ukraine. And then a friend of mine said, you you need to go to Moldova. And I said, it's not on my plan. When he said, it is now, you got to go. So I went to Moldova and ever since then, it's been really all over the place, all over the map. I have been to 97 countries right now. It was I was getting very close to 100 when I went on a cruise uh, in the Caribbean just a couple of weeks ago, but they changed the itinerary, so they took away three of the the UN nations in and replaced it with the Dutch Antilles. And I even I was so ready to get to exactly 100 when I set foot on the last place that I <laughs> I went to a dollar store in Florida and bought three golden blow-up balloons with a 100, so I could have an epic photo as I set foot in. The Nevis and St. Kitts, but that didn't happen. So right now I'm up to 97 countries and getting close to 100. And right now I'm in, in New York City. I'm almost in the shade of the Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue and uh, and Central Park. And, and on Monday, I start a trip across the U.S. all the way to Seattle, where that will take me to 48 of the 50 states. Uh, so... Um, I've been to 42 right now. So uh, it may sound as if I'm just um, going around ticking boxes, but I go back to places I've been to before. I've been here in in New York a number of times, and I I love it here. So I thought, let me go back. uh, And and many places I I revisited. For me, it's more about the adventure and the amazing people I meet than ticking off boxes. But since I'm that close to 100, I, I keep track of how many countries I've been to. Well, I'm going to ask the obvious question, right? I understand that with digital lifestyles, because as Claire alluded to, I'm somewhat of a nomad too. I'm working as as I travel. Are you working? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't pry into your bank balance or anything like that. But how exactly does it work? Because it's one thing to go to, to get to Moldova, it must be pretty expensive to get there, but I'm presuming when you get there, then it's relatively cheap on Danish money and whatever. But so, 
how do you work? How do you make it work financially, et cetera, et cetera? Because those are massive considerations mm-hmm. going to yeah. go into this lifestyle. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people ask me and say, uh, and they say, oh, I wish I could afford to do what you're doing. But here's the funny part. I keep track on how much money I spent on accommodation and moving from A to B. And I compare that to what I had of fixed expenses when I lived in Denmark. I had a small house. It was very old, so it wasn't expensive. But a lot of things comes with it, with um, the insurance, the heating, the um, electricity, and so on. Uh, if I compare to what I had of fixed expenses when I lived in Denmark compared to what I use on travel and accommodation now, on a typical month, it's around half of what I spend. So I can't afford not to do this. I'm spending way less money. And also because I'm not a resident anywhere in the world and not a resident in Denmark, I don't pay 60% tax that I would do if I lived in Denmark. That's also making me travel more. Obviously, when I live in a nice place on close to Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, it's one of the more expensive places. But I thought, okay, it balances out. Sometimes I live in hostels, even in dorm rooms as I travel. Yeah, it's really not a problem with the expenses. And for work, I'm lucky that I have a few very great clients that will keep me busy, one of them being Lego. I produce Lego art soundtracks for them. And the latest one we did was actually about their big Lego art world map, funny enough, which is stunning. And on that, we had some guests on talking about traveling to remote places. And my job there is I find the guests, I do the questions, I hire the host who's in Toronto, a great female radio personality called Andrea. And and then I make sure that everything is recorded and edited and get ready to be sent out on lego.com. But I have other clients as well. This is just by, by far the one that is the biggest and the one that stands out. They keep me busy. And then I, also I do my own travel podcast, The Radio Vagabond, that I'm spending a lot of time producing. So, so you need good, reliable internet. Where's the worst place in the world for good, reliable internet? I'm presuming that Chisinau, Moldova is not necessarily going to be the greatest of places. As far as it was very early on in my trip, so it wasn't something that stands out as something that was really a problem. I think the two weeks I went on the Caribbean cruise, the internet there was only good enough for emails and you shouldn't send any pictures. Couldn't even send a, a, a photo to my kids back in Denmark on Facebook Messenger. So that was pretty bad. And also I had a lot of issues when I was traveling a lot in Northwestern Africa. There were, it was not great. So I remember when I was in, in Cap Skiering in the southern part of Senegal, I stayed one week in one place and the internet wasn't good and I really needed to work. So I wanted to stay a week longer. So I went around to places uh, and looked at it and then said, do you mind if I test your Wi-Fi? So I show, I picked a place where the Wi-Fi was the best, but it was not great, I must admit. But it's not been a huge issue for me. And I try when I go to places where it might be a problem, I try to do that in parts of my working schedule where I'm not going to be busy and I know that I need to upload and download a lot of the files. But it's audio, it's not video, so it's it makes it a little bit um, easier to work with. Gotcha. So where did this whole idea actually come from? Was this some deep-seated love of Phileas Fogg when you're a, a little kid? Or you just just anti-Denmark? 
hate Denmark. Let me go see the world. Uh, let me just start by saying I love Denmark. It's the base, best country in the world. They're just putting it out there that it's, it's, it's it was not because of that, but I always enjoy going places and, and seeing new cultures and meeting people uh, around the world. That's obviously a big part of it. And when I lived in Denmark, I did travel a lot. I was in, in India, I was in Iran, in Iraq, and all over Europe. Uh, so I had traveled quite a bit, but never on, on the long term. So it was actually because I thought, okay, uh, let me let me live somewhere outside of Denmark for a couple of years. Uh, and then I met a guy who said, you've got to go to Cape Town. And I went there for two months before my journey just to try it out. And it was absolutely wonderful. Cape Town is my favorite place outside of Denmark. And I absolutely love it there. And and then I came back and uh, realized, oh my God, I can work anywhere. And Cape Town is wonderful. And I might uh, stay there for a couple of years. But then again, there's so many other places and at that time, I was uh, running my production company out of my home. So every time I, I put up a world map in my kitchen, and every time I, I poured myself a cup of coffee, I would take a pen and make a, a dot on the map. And all of a sudden, I could see that there were a lot of dots, and I started connecting those into, into a journey of uh, places I want to visit. Got another map that was even bigger and put that on a wall, almost like a, a crime lab thing with lines out to little clippings of here is what you need to know about this place and this place. So I went totally into research mode for a couple of years before my kid finally leave the house so I could start traveling. <laughs> so how do you use Matt as you're going around? Oh, I am totally a map geek and probably something that runs in, in, in the family from my dad. I'll get back to that. But I remember before this journey, now nowadays, the online maps are so good and so easy to use. So I use Google Maps a lot. And I, if you take a look at how, what it looks like, there's a lot of stars and, and hearts and little notes on my Google map. It looks crazy. You can't almost, um, you almost can't see the map. Um, so I use that uh, a lot. But before I remember every time I would go on a vacation somewhere in Europe, typically, I would go into the first shop on the first day and say, what kind of maps do you have? And I would get buy maps in, in different measurements, some of them on a bigger scale and some very detailed. So I could see, okay, there's a path here and something that would totally annoy my, my, my then wife for that I would spend so much money on maps. But I absolutely love the physical textile thing about maps. And at some point when I stop traveling again, my home will be full of maps and 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 globes. I, I love beautiful, uh, is, is it called globes? Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I really use maps a lot. And, I, and also I have a couple of apps on my phone, like the theme where I have a, a there's a map where you can change the color of the countries you've been to. I use another map called Track My Tour, where I put a pin every time I go someplace. And so I can see my route around the world, which also looks really crazy. So yeah, I, I, I use maps a lot. And do you have a particular kind of favorite type of place? And this, I'm thinking more of natural geography, mountains, oceans, rivers, I don't know, dust bowls, whatever. Is there a particular kind of uh, place to be that really makes you happy? 
Now, it's all of the above, and it's big cities, it's small, tiny cities. Right now, I'm editing an episode of when I was of my podcast from when I was in Guatemala. And I was in Guatemala City, but only briefly. And then I went to Lake Atitlan, uh, but and not even one of the bigger cities there or bigger towns. It was a tiny place called San Lucas Toleman uh, on the southern part of the lake. So that was a tiny, totally different feel than being in a big city. I love doing hiking. I love going into the mountains. I, I love nature, but I also like the hustle and bustle of a big city. So it's a lot of everything. So I can't really say that I'm going for one thing in, in particular. Mostly I, I want to get as close to the local culture as I possibly can. And yeah. what type of place do you need to go to, to get the feel of the local culture? Because I, I, and also tell us what's the smallest amount of time that you'll actually spend somewhere. Because if I'm going to go to Monaco, anyone can be there for two hours and you've done Monaco. You've fundamentally done it. Yeah. If you're going to go to the UK and if you go to London, do you then need a week? Is it a case of the size of the country, the complexity of the country you need oh, longer? Yeah. Oh, or yeah. Are you just saying, you know what? I've done one day, bang, chalk it off. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's funny you should say that because I was in Andorra and Liechtenstein recently and I spent an afternoon or most of a day in both places and then I'd seen it. And then I've been a week to Moscow and I don't feel I've been to Russia. I I need to go back and and see a lot more. I'd love to do the Trans-Siberian Railroad at some point. I need to go to St. Petersburg. And as for the UK, I'd been to London more times than I can remember. And I've been to Dublin and a, and, a, and a brief visit to Bristol, but that was about it, mostly London. And I could technically say, okay, the UK, that's one UN nation. So I don't need to go to Scotland. I don't need to go to Wales. And But I want to see it. I want to see much more. Thankfully, I got to spend some time in Hepton Bridge and got to go to to up to Scotland uh, and I so want to go back and see more of Scotland so I want to see a lot of the UK as well I don't feel I've given it enough justice just as spending time in London even though London is obviously a great city how has COVID impacted on your travels in the last couple of years yeah I was I hadn't been traveling that much since COVID broke out i I was in Bali when it happened. Then I was briefly in in Chiang Mai and Thailand and back to Bali. From there, I went to Qatar, Denmark, Berlin, Cape Town, got to Cape Town. No, Egypt before Cape Town. And and then I got to Cape Town on March 12th, just a few days before the lockdown came, the big lockdown. So then I got stuck in my favorite place uh, in the world, in, in Cape Town, for nine and a half months. And that was not the worst place to get stuck if it, it needed to, to happen. And then it, when they opened up the borders again, uh, I managed to get back to Denmark and spend Christmas with my family for the first time in five years. But then because I'm not a resident in Denmark, I need to travel again. There's a limit to how long time I can actually be in Denmark. It's 42 days every six months. So early January, I went to Spain, and then I went to uh, Colombia, made my way up to to Panama, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, and then I went to to Florida and Nashville and did the cruise, and now I'm here in New York. I hadn't been traveling that much. But still quite a lot of travel. I barely (laughs) left the county, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. But but you... Yeah. 
And uh, you, you asked me before how long time I stay in each place. When I was in, got to Cape Town, I was asked to do an online TEDx talk. And for that, I, I counted how many places I'd been to. At that point, it was a little bit more than three and a half years I've been traveling. And by then, I'd stayed in 315 different places I could see. So that means I, I, I packed and unpacked 315 times. And that's an average of, as far as I remember, 4.5 days per place. And that can sound like very little. Sometimes I stay longer and sometimes I do a road trip where it's just one night uh, and then off to the next place. So that's was um, pulling me the average of uh, time spent in, in each place down. But I feel that I I can become more slowmatic. I can travel slower now and I just do what, what feels right. Sometimes when I've been traveling quite fast, I get mentally full. So I need to stay in one place and get the hunger back to travel uh, and see more because I, I promise myself I won't be at some point in New Zealand saying, okay, yeah, there's a waterfall. I've seen something similar. Um, do I have to walk half a mile to see it? Uh, can I see it from the car? That would be a crime. Uh, so I need to stay hungry. And that's why sometimes I just stay in one place. And actually it happened to me when I was, I got to El Salvador. I, I loved it there, but there was something off. There was something that I, I didn't really feel it that much. So I found a place in the mountains, a small town in the mountains where basically nothing was happening. So I went there and stayed there for a couple of weeks, and that gave me the hunger back. Just being there, going out to there, but most of the time just being on my computer, doing some work, that gave me the hunger back. And now it's I'm ready for more. So, yeah, slow and fast, like an interval sprint, is I, I, <laughs> I, I like to, to say it. And on that note, talking about an interval, we should have a little bit of an interval in the middle of our great chat with you, Pele. And now, if you listen to this on the podcast, you're going to hear an audio postcard from Michael Permain. Nick Roworth is going to be next month. If you're watching this, I do apologize. As I've just explained to Claire before we started, I am in flying back to England mode. And the last thing that I remembered when I woke up this morning is that I was going to be recording Map Corner. What we have is an audio postcard with some images. The images do not necessarily follow what the person is saying. However, they all are apropos to the wider subject matter. But if you're listening on the podcast, you're like, what are you talking about, man? It just sounds like a regular audio postcard. This goes from Michael Permain. Hi. My name's Mike Permain, and as a Yorkshire Brummie who loves both sport and maps, it recently occurred to me most of us have an emotional connection between the sports that we follow and how those sports are represented in maps, plans or diagrams. For some people it might be seeing plans of Formula One tracks, their favourite golf courses or the football stadium they're going to visit for away matches over the next season. But in my case I get a real buzz out of seeing a map of where the Ashes cricket matches are going to be played in Australia or where the British Lions are going to play rugby in New Zealand. However, I'd like to give three more detailed examples of my own personal connections to sporting maps. The first is an A to Z extract of the small Heath district of Birmingham, which my late dad annotated following a bout of family history research. Within an area just larger than a single A to Z square, he marked where my great-granddad had lived, 
where my granddad was born, where he met my grandma, and St Aidan's Church where they were married. Also on the same small map, map extract was the location of the three Birmingham city grounds, Arthur Street and Munt Street, both when Birmingham being, being called Small Heath Alliance, plus St Andrews where blues still play today. On Boxing Day in 1906, my great granddad and granddad helped to clear the pitch of snow for Birmingham's first official match at St Andrews before watching a scintillating 0-0 draw against Middlesbrough. My dad used to talk about how, when he was little in the 1930s, my granddad used to pass him over the turnstiles at St Andrews, and how he did the same with me in the 1960s. My second example is the thrill I get when they release the map of the next year's Tour de France. Are they going around France clockwise or anti-clockwise? How do the Alps and Pyrenees fit in to determine which will be the key stages? And where can I go to see it? This is because for years, a couple of my mates and I hired a camper van, put some bikes on the back and chased the tour around France. Therefore, I couldn't quite believe it when in 2014 the Tour de France came to Yorkshire. Not only that, but the detailed map of the route showed that the race would be passing through our own local village. So, together with family and friends, we had a gentle 20 minute stroll across the Bronte Moors to the hill where we'd chosen to watch it, along with several hundred other people who'd had the same idea. As it was a gorgeous summer's day, we had the chance to lie in the heather to have a picnic and a couple of chilled beers before we heard the telltale distant hum of the TV helicopters. We then spotted the peloton, watched it cross the reservoir, and when they arrived the roar was deafening and the riders were close enough to touch a magical day. My third and final example is the seating plan of the Headingley Sports Ground in Leeds. I've been visiting this site for many years, both for cricket, including for various Roses T20 matches, where the singing is often rude but very funny, and rugby, in my case the Union Code, which is very much the poor relation around here where rugby league rules. Pre-Covid, I had a season ticket for 19 years, including seeing Leeds Tykes win the Power Gen Cup in 2005. So, to finish off, two other random but special cricketing memories that the Headingley map conjures up. First, summer 1981, just after we'd finished our last university exams in the days when you could get into the ground for free after 4pm. This was the Botham's Ashes match, when England were forced to follow on but still won. My friend and I were wandering around the boundary and the scoreboard showed the odds of an England victory were 500 to 1. Word soon got round that two Aussies had taken the bet against themselves, which turned out to be true. They got their money, but we got the ashes. Also, at a more recent Yorkshire match, a fielder on the boundary just in front of us threw a ball back towards the wickets, but hit and stunned a pigeon mid-flight. This later featured on a question of sports, what happened next round? with me and a mate jumping up and down in the background. These are all very personal recollections of sporting maps, but that's the whole point. We all have our own individual relationships with maps and sport, which mean absolutely nothing to other people, but very important to ourselves. Thanks for listening. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. 
That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. There you go. Utterly wonderful. A wonderful personal audio postcard. Now, this is where we unleash the barbarians on you, Pele, and we let them ask you deep, probing questions. If you've got one, Sarah, Sergio, Nick, uh, Janet and Ronald, uh, feel free to unmute your mic and, and, and weigh in uh, because this man's probably seen more countries than all of us combined. So uh, he's full of wisdom and knowledge. But I tell you what, I'll get them all warmed up for you, for you first. So... I don't get too hippy-dippy about this, right? If you see 97 countries, you've been to 97 countries, uh, you must see this common thread of, of humanity, what kind of unites us all. What is it? What What is always the same wherever you go throughout the world? I will, a, lo a lot of people, they think that it's such a dangerous place out there. But what I've learned is that 99.99% of all people on the planet want to be kind. And I've experienced a lot of kindness and, and friendliness all around the world. And as I travel, I bring two weapons and one of them is my common sense and the other one is my smile. So I've hated wearing a mask all the time in my travel because the smile will uh, take you a long way. But um, that's, I, I think, is the, the thing that, that we have in common, that people are generally very nice. And as long as we're able to communicate just a little bit, it's easy to, to get a conversation going and make friends. And, and for me, that's the biggest thing that I get out of living this lifestyle. I like that about it being your smile. So you use it to disarm people and rob banks, Dean, in countries all throughout the world. <laughs> Can I have some money? <laughs> I'm not sure that prisons of the world is a tour that you particularly want to take. <laughs> no, and it was so funny when I did that two-month trip to, to Cape Town before my journey, I, a lot of people said to me, oh, it's so dangerous, South Africa, haven't you heard? It's so murder rate and blah, blah, blah. 
And then I, I knew a friend that had been to South Africa very a, a, a few times, and I know that he loves it there. And when I told him that I'm going two months to, to Cape Town, he said, oh, pal, it's so dangerous. I said, come on, not you. What I mean is it's so dangerous because once you get there, you don't want to leave. So that was what he meant. Yeah. Obviously, you don't walk down a dark alley in the middle of the night. You use your common sense and then smiling and making friends is really something that will take you a long way. That's so positive. Well, I was listening to the piece you put together for the Lego map, where you had the people who had been traveling the world also saying much the same thing. Um, yeah. Is there a kind of virtual community of people who are going all over the place that is supportive and or competitive around? Oh, very supportive. Yeah. No, it's very supportive. And a lot of these people that were on the Lego are world map soundtrack when i got that job i thought okay this is going to be so great because i can just reach out to a lot of my friends in the extreme travel community and the guy thor who's now in hong kong the danish guy who's traveling to every country in the world in one single unbroken journey without flying he's just amazing i've never met him in person but we've spoken so many times and sharing ideas and i reach out if i'm going to a place that he's been to and saying, what, how did you manage to get a visa for that? Or is that something that I should uh, look out for? Yeah. There, and there are Facebook groups and also for, for digital nomads, I've, I've done what is called the nomad cruise three times, which is like a conference on a cruise ship. And on one of them, we were 500 nomads. Once you've been on one, you become part of the alumni, and that's really a close uh, set of uh, friends because when you're on a ship together, you get really close to uh, to these people. So, yeah, there's absolutely a, a big community for digital nomads and for extreme travelers. And I wouldn't say that it's a competition. Obviously, if you're getting close to breaking some kind of record, like Thor, he was he thought he would be finished in 2020. He needs, I think seven or nine countries and now he's still in Hong Kong uh, a year and a half later and getting a little bit frustrated but doesn't want to to quit his dream and obviously if somebody would come and break that record just before him I'm sure he would be a little bit annoyed but but still it's it, we were very supportive and help each other and we all have the same passion for travels and going to remote places so yeah very supportive community sounds great Let's say that you'd done this 15 years ago, right? And you, and you said there's 192 countries in the world and you've done it. And all of a sudden, South Sudan declares independence. Do you just go, ah, I've done it? Or do you go, oh my God, I've got to go to South Sudan. There's a new country. Yeah, uh, uh, I think now that you mentioned South Sudan, because there was a, an English guy who did the same thing that Thor is doing, traveling without flying. And when he did the last, I think, number 192, and that was the last one, South Sudan declared his independence and he needed to go there and do it without flying. And he was somewhere in Asia, I think. He had to go there. No, obviously, I've been to also to, to Kosovo. I've been to Taiwan. I've been to Transnistria. Not UN nations, but in, if Taiwan or Kosovo like would become a UN nation, I... Can of worms you're opening if you're going to Transnistria. Going to go to Abkhazia and all these other w weird and wonderful places. But anyway, we've got oh, yeah. questions. We've got two <laughs> questions. Right. Ronald, why don't you ask your question first, then Sarah spills beer up next. Absolutely. So I have a question. Have you flown or traveled into a country because you wanted to get 
into another uh, nearby country. For example, a few years ago, I had a business meeting in Malmo, Sweden. And of course, I looked at my map and I'm like, ah, I have to fly to Copenhagen and then take the train across the sound. And because I'm always fascinated to compare and contrast countries that are next to mm. next to each other. Yes. Uh, and what was the question again? Have you picked a country as a pass through to get to another country? <clears throat> yeah, maybe I have. Sometimes it's I get the layover to be extended on the same flight. Uh, like when I went from Bali to, to Denmark uh, with Qatar, uh, I, I got to stay a few days in Qatar on the same ticket and, and then, then continue. So I got to stay a few days in, in Doha. Uh, I know that Iceland there do, does the same. I haven't been to Iceland yet. I've only been to the, the airport and that doesn't count. When I went from Guinea in Western Africa to, to Cape Town, I was with Ethiopian Air and got to spend a few days in Addis Ababa on the same ticket. I have to think, have I flown into a country and then driven across? Maybe I have, but nothing that comes to mind right now. Uh, the- but it's so funny. Sometimes, oh, sorry. No, sometimes it's it's not the it's not the closest place that's cheesed on a flight necessarily. So sometimes when I'm in a place and I don't really know where to go next, I go on Skyscanner and search from here to anywhere, and just see what pops up. And sometimes I it's a long flight that's cheaper than just going across the border, basically. Thank you for that, Ronald. Sarah Spilsbury over there in Smedic. Hi, which country have you been back to the most? The, the, the question is, what's your favorite country and what's your least favorite uh, is one that we get a lot I know, and, and one that I don't like because it's so hard to answer. Typically, it's um, the, the places that I really, is the places that I've been to the longest. And I keep mentioning Cape Town and it, it, is the, uh, it is my favorite place. So I already have a ready answer for that. I've been, to, I've been there a, a number of times and every time it's been a longer stay. So that is my favorite. But if you asked me to name number two, three, four, I would have a hard time because there are so many great places that I don't need to go back to. And this is something that actually, if, if it feels bad to mention Mauritania. When I was in Morocco, making my way through Western Sahara down to, to Dakar, we drove basically on a long, straight, very poor road through Mauritania. I got to spend a night there, but I, I don't think I've given it enough justice. I was in the in, in the capital, Novachuk, uh, and it just didn't appeal to me that much. But then I've spoken to other travelers who've been there and really loved it. So I feel bad about saying that I don't need to go back there because it might be that I'm wrong. So yeah, there's there probably been places where I thought, okay, now I've seen it. I don't really need to go back. Nick Roworth. And I was just saying, you can probably the language, but also signs. When the signs are not in the normal text, like in Japan or somewhere, did you do you have problems with those at all? I take it not many people speak Danish. No, thank God I speak a little bit of English. I tried to get my Spanish back. I found a private tutor, and she was teaching me one on one three times a day. And I had Spanish in school thirty five years ago, but it's it's hard to learn. It's it, my brain just doesn't remember as it used to. So I'm trying to get my Spanish back and obviously traveling more than uh, six months in uh, Spanish-speaking countries, it's helped. It's become better. But I had a bit of French in school as well, so, uh, but that was all gone. I thought until I came to Northwestern Africa where that's the language that most of people speak and nothing else. 
except for the Gambia. A few French phrases came back as well. I also do a ambition German, but not a lot. No, what you said about signs, I remember when I was in, in Moscow, the subway, they only they, they only have signs in, in their Russian letters. And that was challenging, but I could use my visual sense and say, okay, the one with the thing that looks like a, a, a bee that's upside down, that's what it starts with and, and go by that. It's a little bit more challenging in China, but the Google Translate app actually can, you can turn it to camera and get a translation that way. Somebody please ask a long question so I can get this cough out of my throat. <laughs> we're, we're, about save you. Yeah, we're about to save you because there is the quiz. The quiz is here, right? That's the most important. And the quiz is all based on places where Pallet's been that's on his, that they're named on his website. Fantastic. That's, what, that's the reason for these random places. All right. So, so here we are. It's I'm expecting the- you to win the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> So here is the quiz, good people. Question number one. Eswatini. What weapon features on the Eswatini flag used to be called Swaziland? If people are saying, what? Where's this place? Changed its name about two, three years ago. Now, what weapon features on the Eswatini flag? Is it spear, B, an axe, or C, a gun? What weapon features on the Eswatini flag? think i know this one question number two hong kong in what year did the uk return hong kong to chinese administrative control was it a 1995 was it b 1997 or c 1999 were they dancing like it was 1999 when the british gave control back to the chinese government question number three antigua the highest point on the island, Boggy Peak, was renamed briefly in honour of which US president? A. Abraham Lincoln, B. John F. Kennedy, or C. Barack Obama. Antigua, the highest point on the island, Boggy Peak, was renamed briefly in honour of which US president? A. Old Abe, B. John I. Fiddled Around with Marilyn Monroe Kennedy, or C. Mr. Perfect Barack Obama. (laughs) Question number four. Spain, which Andalusian city was the birthplace of Pablo Picasso? Was it A, Seville, B, Cadiz or C, Malaga? Spain, which Andalusian city was the birthplace of Pablo Picasso? Was it A, Seville, B, Cadiz or C, Malaga? Question number five. Abu Dhabi. Which of the following colours is not on the flag of Abu Dhabi? White, green or red? Huh. Because those are all the Arabic colours. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Right. Let's do that one again. Question number five. Abu Dhabi. Which of the following colours is not on the flag of Abu Dhabi? White, green or red? That's an excellent question. Because those are all the Pan-Arabic colours. Nicaragua. In 1960, Nicaragua ceded an area of land to which neighbouring country? Oh, Claire, these are good. Well done. Honduras, Costa Rica or El Salvador? Again, the question. In 1960, Nicaragua ceded an area of land to which neighbouring country? A. Honduras, B. Costa Rica or C. El Salvador? 
Question number seven, Canada. What proportion of Canada is crown land technically owned by the Queen as head of state? Is it 59%, 79% or 89%? A lot of Canada is kind of empty and pretty barren. The question again, what proportion of Canada is crown land technically owned by the Queen as head of state? 59%, 79% or 89%? And the last question, the USA. Coca-Cola is based and has a visitor centre in Atlanta. How many countries in the world don't sell Coca-Cola? Two, three or four? So this is which countries of the world are totally un-American? don't want that taste of freedom out of a bottle. The USA, Coca-Cola is based and has a visitor centre in Atlanta. Why put the visitor centre bit in there, Claire? Because I like it. Because it led me down a certain path and then you pull the rug from under me. It's nothing to do with America, but it's great. How many countries in the world don't sell Coca-Cola? Is it two, three or four? I'm very interested in that answer. And there you go, folks. That's our quiz. Now, Claire, we best do social media roundup and all that malarkey because we really should have done the, the, the quiz about 20 minutes ago. But I was too busy listening to this man talk uh, about countries around the world. Uh, hit us with that, why don't you, Claire? All right, so just a quickie on the uh, social media roundup this time round. Over on Facebook, uh, our most active thread was uh, a great a lot of discussion about the map that in theory showed what the most popular sauce to put on your chips was across the UK. Totally bogus in my view. Don't know where that data came from. Lots of discussion about the, the spread of various things like the gravy or mayonnaise or ketchup or whatever. And, and I, I take it with a great big pinch of salt and not just don't take my chips with salt at all. But I take the map with a big pinch of salt. It's very dubious to me. But yeah, so that, there was a lot of chat on that posted a really great picture. There's a lot of these around, but they're always great, which was all the Roman roads of the UK done like a tube map. So it works really well because they're pretty straight for a start. And they're such a beautiful thing. We've seen a really nice one of Europe as a whole, actually, but this was a, the UK one. And I just want to give a little mention to John Salto, who's been posting some great maps into the Facebook group. A real range of things, languages learned in the US, the countries which each state has in the US has the most imports from a particular other country. Now, that pro provoked all sorts of discussion, including Yogi Zabo, who went off and did all sorts of research about what were the main imports of Ireland into the UK, into the US, and who was going, like, what was it all going to be? Um, so, yeah, nice to see a bit of additional um, research going on that's been prompted by the chat. And then over on Twitter, I just want to flag something up that I posted up. Actually, it was originally tweeted by John Elledge, friend of the show, who'd retweeted a thing about that someone had created a map of Agatha Christie's England, showing lots of like pertinent locations around Agatha Christie novels and her life. So I thought that was quite an interesting one for the literary types who are into their Agatha Christie, just to know there's a map available for that particular niche also. That's some of the stuff that's been going on. Do join the Facebook group. See what people are saying, see what maps people are posting, and obviously joining the discussion. Now, what comes next? I've only done this. We've only done this show about twenty-five times. My brain's gone blank because I want to leave the answers to the quiz for as long as possible, Claire. All right, I'll do my map fact of the show. There you I? go. That that's 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 what I was hoping you'd say. So my map fact of the show is a bit of a plug, really. It's one that I picked up also on Twitter. 
And it's just to alert people to the existence of a new board book for babies called Map Projections for Babies. This is suitable for the small child or toddler in your life who wants to understand the science behind map projections in a handy, beautifully designed board book. Let's be honest, it's more for the parents and the map geeks than the child themselves. There's never too early to learn exactly. about maps and map projections. It's a really beautiful piece of kit. It was originally crowdfunded. Look great. Look it up. Map projections for babies. If you've got a baby to buy for in the next little while, I would recommend it. It looks beautiful. Crumbs. I don't think you never start a kid too young on uh, the wonder of the world. What do you say though, Pele? You can't start it. Six months, three months, perfect age. It's a show telling them what the cat totally. of the Mauritius is and telling them the wonders of, of projections, surely. Yeah, and, and also with the, the Lego map, it's tiny pieces, um, the Lego art world map, but it's good for kids as well. And I spoke to one of the guests. She said that her three young sons, they have these Lego animals, like a lion and a giraffe, and, and then they have things where they should stick it on the map in the country where they belong. That's also a great way to, to use And I really don't think that you could get started on our maps uh, too early. And a good thing about the Lego map is also because it's sort of modular, isn't it? So you can put different countries in the middle if you want to. Exactly. Yeah. You can rearrange it. If you're from Australia, you can put Australia in the middle and, and, and so on. Yeah. But I, f I feel that the, the world evolves around Denmark. So Denmark should be in the middle. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Isn't that kind of what atlases do in every kind of country? Because they always start with, for understandable reasons, you're in Bolivia, so the first map you're going to see of the world is Bolivia. And then, so your orientation of the world is set by your country, in effect, being the middle. Yeah, I absolutely think so. I actually um, I forgot to tell you about it. Is it okay if I, I share something for that map geeks like you would love? Do we have time for that? Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned briefly that my father was into maps as well. He actually also did orienteering races, but not running in a forest, but driving in cars where you would navigate with... It's a sport in, in Denmark and maybe some other countries as well. But when he was young, before I was born, he was working for as a cardiograph, is what I think it's called, making maps. And he was a big part of mapping Greenland. So every summer for nine years, he would go to Greenland and be flat on his stomach in, in a plane, taking photos out of the window of the ground every few seconds. And then in the wintertime, they would be back in Copenhagen using these pictures to make maps of, of all of Greenland. So it's such a huge island and such a remarkable thing that even back in the late 50s, early 60s, there was they had this technology Obviously, this was before computers, but he told me that they could kind of put it into a light room where the two different pictures taken uh, with exactly this amount of time in between, by that they could calculate the how high the mountains were. So I thought that was so fascinating, and that's what he was doing. So I guess I, I got the whole thing with the maps right from birth, talking about you can't get started too early. Absolutely. And of course, I don't want to denigrate anything, but uh, Green Greenland does look particularly big because of the projection, but it is still quite big. Uh, you are absolutely right. Yeah, sometimes it looks as, as big as uh, South Af South America, which it is not. It is not. 
folks. Yeah. I found out there's a great website where you can drag the different countries around yeah. and get the real measurement. It's, it's so cool. I, I enjoy doing that. Are you feeling lucky? Because it's the quiz answers. And if you don't get these all right, sh for shame, sir, for shame. Right. Oh, so, oh, I don't think I will. Question number one. Eswatini, uh, the country formerly known as Swaziland. What weapon features on the Eswatini flag? And the answer is A. It is a spear. And I believe there's also a shield as well, isn't there? Um, yeah. yeah, I think as far as I remember, there are, there are two or three spears. There's sort of cross, I think. So you got one there, Pele. So it's a well done. We're taking this that you're, you're, you're being honest. with. I, I, you know what? No, I can't actually hide these now. All right, okay. I can, you can, I've got it up, but if you want to just read them out, I can tell you the answer. All right, great. Let, let's see how no, you do. Kidding, that's let's see how you do, Mr. Radio Vagabond. All right, so you've got the next one. But did you... So the question is, Hong Kong, in what year did the UK return Hong Kong to Chinese administrative control? Would you have got this right? Yeah, I in my head it was either ninety seven or ninety eight, but then I saw that ninety eight was not an option. So yes, my guess was ninety seven. It is of course nineteen ninety seven. Claire, the next question is. The next question is, Antigua, the highest point on the island, Boggy Peak, which, by the way, ridiculous name for a high point. Boggies are bogs aren't high. How can be both boggy and a peak? Makes no sense to me. Anyway, the highest point on the island, Boggy Peak was renamed briefly in honor of which U.S. president? Was it Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, or Barack Obama? It was Mr. Perf Barack Obama. Yes. Well done, sir. Next question, Claire. Which Andalusian city was the birthplace of Pablo Picasso? Was it Seville, Cadiz, or Malaga? It was Malaga. Very close to where my uncle lives and has a mango farm. Nice. So I've been there many times, yeah. Great ferry in Malaga in August, actually. Yeah. It probably wasn't this year, but anyway. I would have got that one wrong, by the way. Holding my hand up, no. I did not think it was Malaga. Next question. Okay, next one is Abu Dhabi. Which of the following colours is not on the flag of Abu Dhabi? White, green or red? You know, white, green and red, that, that's the colours of the uh, Emirates flag, uh, I, as far as I remember. I feel I've seen something where it was just uh, white and red, but I'm really not sure about this one. So green would be my answer. Yeah, I'm going to guess at green as well because white has to be there. Yeah, I'm going to go green as well. And you're both right. It was all red with a tiny little white uh, rectangle or all white with a tiny red rectangle. I think it's mainly red yeah. with a little white rectangle. Yeah, quite boring actually. It's been a week or two since I wrote the quiz, so I've forgotten. Okay, next question. Uh, Nicaragua. In 1960, Nicaragua ceded an area of land to which neighbouring country? Was it Honduras, Costa Rica or El Salvador? I really should know this, but I'm not sure. My guess would be Costa Rica. All right, now, because I don't know this one e either and I'm trying to work this out, okay? There was a football war between Central American countries in the 80s and I... It was, I think it was Nicaragua and El Salvador. There was some undemarcated border and there was a football match played between the two countries which descended into some level of violence and it's called the football war. Costa Rica is to the south. Costa mm -hmm. Rica, 
I'm going to go to El Salvador. Okay, it's Honduras. It was very enjoyable hearing you both pontificate in length. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next question. Next question. What proportion of Canada is crown land, technically owned by the Queen as head of state? Is it 59%, 79% or 89%? I, I thought it was 100%, so I'm, I'm going to go with the biggest number. There's a lot of Canada, which is just barren. So yeah, yeah I'm going to go... She can have that. It's 79 or 89. It can't be 59. And it's 89%. Yes. And our last question is, Coca-Cola is based and has a visitor center in Atlanta, but how many countries in the world don't sell Coca-Cola? To you, I heard you talking about why Atlanta, but, but that was where they started the company. So there's, they've got both a CNN and Coca-Cola in Atlanta, which I found really interesting. I, my guess would be two, and those two being Cuba and North Korea. But I don't know. That's a, that's that's a great guess. That's a great guess. It's the right answer. So there you go. Well done, Yeti. I think you can get black market Coca-Cola in some. For those places, but uh, but yeah, it's the only place there's no official sales of Coca Cola. Wait on a minute. Mm. I basically get, gave the answer because I said which of these countries don't want a taste of freedom out of a bottle. I was correct. I just did it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Now it's uh, the moment of reckoning for the viewers here. Now I know who my money's on in terms of who who's got the most of these correct. Ronald, my my money's on you, sir. Though. Ja- Janet Beck is looking rather confident there as she just surveys her notes there. Yes. Well, don't be like waving and shaking your head. We had eight questions. Who got all eight correct? Nick Roworth is looking away, looking sheepish all of a sudden. All right. Who got seven correct? Oh, okay. All right. You've basically won the quiz then, Pele, because you got seven correct. You got seven, yeah. Uh, you got seven as well, didn't you? No. Got two, two wrong. Um, all right, so who got six correct? Oh, come on now. Oh, Ronald, did you get six? Yes, we got Well done, Ronald. Genius. You're genius. And you have a very special prize coming your way. Do you know what that is, Ronald? You told your postcard. You've got to do an audio postcard. Fantastic. And you've got a whole load of places you can choose from. You can, uh, home country. You can do London, or you can even do New York City. We've never had an audio postcard actually from New York City. Take your pick, sir. Take your pick. But congratulations. Well done. Looking forward to hearing that. Me too. Me too. Folks, I think it's just about time for us to pack up our maps. But Pele, you've been a wonderful, wonderful guest. Which country's next, sir? London. <laughs> I'm going to make it across to the US uh, through Seattle. Uh, and that's... Yeah, I'm going to be traveling for a month and a half here in the U.S. And then I'm going to London, hopefully for World Travel Market in November in London to see that. It's always exciting, but let's see if it gets canceled. From there, quick stop to Denmark. And then I don't know where I'm going. I've been thinking about doing the stands, uh, doing a lot of, except for Afghanistan right now, a lot of the other stands uh, I'd like to do. Best avoided. I think that's pretty wise. And also, I thought I'd get to the United Kingdom quick because it might not be united for too many more years to come. Find yourself (laughs) having to visit an independent country (laughs) called Scotland and Wales very soon. Yeah. Anyway, Claire, is it time for us to pack up our maps? 
It is. Let me just remind you that next month's recording, our guest is going to be professional cartographer Ian Ray from Redmap. And and a, re- a reminder to leave us a review and uh, obviously subscribe to the podcast. Keep listening. There you go, folks. Right, I'm folding up my map, and I believe, Claire, you're you're doing the same. I am folding up my map. <laughs>